Dr. R.J. Rushduni, RR 130 AM 71, Best 7th Commandment, Leviticus, Lev 18, verses 23-30. Our Lord and our God, we give thanks unto thee again for thy marvelous and providential care. We thank thee, our Father, that day after day thou dost sustain, bless, and protect us. And so, our God, we come into thy presence with thanksgiving. We come also mindful, our Father, that one of our number has gone home to be received. We thank thee for Virginia Kerfer and for her faith. And we thank thee, our Father, that now she has eternal life and the joy of reunion with loved ones long since gone. We pray that thou wouldst be with Phil and with all her loved ones to comfort and to strengthen them, and day by day to sustain them with thy grace. We give thanks unto thee, our Father, that Thou art ever near, a very present help in time of need. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth be moved, though the mountains shake with its dwelling thereof. For Thou, the Lord of hosts, art with us. Thou art our refuge. Our God, we thank Thee. In Jesus' name, Amen. Our scripture is Leviticus 18. Verses 23 through 30, and our subject, bestiality. Leviticus 18, 23 through 30. Neither shalt thou lie with any beast to defile thyself therewith. Neither shall any woman stand before a beast to lie down thereto. It is confusion. Defile not yourselves, ye yourselves, in any of these things, for in all these the nations are defiled, which I cast out before you. And the land is defiled. Therefore I do visit the iniquity thereof upon it, and the land itself vomiteth out her inhabitants. Ye shall, therefore, keep my statutes and my judgments, and shall not commit any of these abominations, neither any of your own nation or any stranger that sojourneth among you. For all these abominations have the men of the land done, which were before you, and the land is defiled. But the land spew not you out also when ye defile it, as it spewed out the nations that were before you. For whosoever shall commit any of these abominations, even the souls that commit them shall be cut off from among their people. Therefore shall ye keep mine ordinances that ye commit not any one of these abominable customs which were committed before you, and that ye defile not yourselves therein. I am the Lord your God. The crime of bestiality is cited not only in this passage, but also in Exodus 22:19 and Leviticus 20, verses 15 and 16, and in Deuteronomy 27, verse 21. As our scripture cited, it was the practice of the Canaanite custom, uh, nations that were cast out before Israel. The death penalty is required for this offense for both man and beast. 
If the death penalty is not afflicted for this and for other perversions, the land is polluted, and the earth, God declares, vomits out the degenerate people. According to Scripture, when Adam and Eve fell, the whole earth felt the effect of the fall. The earth shared in the consequences of man's sin, and it reacts to man's degeneracy. Beyond a certain point, the earth itself is polluted, and it casts out, it vomits out its inhabitants. Now, bestiality is common to many nations of antiquity, but only to the advanced culture. Nowadays, it's treated as though, well, it was a phase in man's evolution, and we are told it belongs to backward peoples. We do not find it, for example, in the primitive, so-called primitive, or backward cultures of Africa or of the Americas, but rather in advanced cultures of antiquity and of today. In every case where we encounter it, it is a religious practice. The rationale of it I dealt with in my study, The Religion of Revolution. Every non-biblical faith is evolutionary. There is no doctrine of creation outside of the Bible. Now, an evolutionary faith believes that man rose out of a primeval chaos, so that the source of man, the source of the world, of all beings, is out of chaos. Now, where a man sees the source of all things and the power of all things, there he looks for regeneration, for revival, for renewal. And if man believes, in terms of the doctrine of evolution, that chaos is the source of all things, he looks to chaos for renewal. He looks downward for vigor and strength, for power and vitality, not upward. As a result, the basic religious revival of the ancient world was the Saturnalia. It went by different names in different cultures. But it was a time of national and personal renewal, regeneration. It was the great official required revival meeting of all the pagan nations of antiquity. During the Saturnalia, which went by different names in different countries, all normal law and order was abolished. A condemned convict was taken out of the prison and made the king during the festival. The requirement of the Saturnalia was obligatory adultery, incest, homosexuality, bestiality, every kind of perversion imaginable. Why? Because these were acts of chaos, of confusion, or, as confusion can also be uh, translated, perversion. And since chaos was the source of creation, the source of the universe, that was where power was to be found. And so, the revival of the ancient world was this Saturnalia with its religious practice of all these perversions. As 
as a result, as apostate man in the ancient world developed his culture and his religion, he developed bestiality as a religious right. So we find it only in the advanced civilization. Their position was logical. If God is God, and if God indeed, as Scripture declares, created heaven and earth and all things therein, then man must look upward to God for regeneration, for guidance, for strength. And man must then conform himself to God's law word. But if chaos is ultimate, and all things evolved out of chaos, then man must look downward to chaos for his strength and for his regeneration. Bestiality was thus important to develop paganism. It was not, as I have already stated, found in the simple backward tribe. It was prominent in advanced pagan cultures and because of the doctrine of evolution. It is again becoming prominent in our culture. It is practiced as a matter of principle in a variety of groups. It is still sub rosa, but increasingly books are written to advocate this practice, and these books, unfortunately, are written by doctors and psychiatrists. It is increasingly promoted in literature and now also in some movies. In fact, there is a current movie which has not yet appeared here, the whole theme of which is bestiality. However, there were legal forces at work to prevent anything being shown in the picture. It was the FPCA. It stepped in to protect the pig in the case. <laughs> Nothing, of course, has been done by the law to protect the people who will see films. There is, moreover, a long history of association of bestiality with revolutionary movements, and with good reason, because the whole thesis of revolution in the modern age as well as in the ancient world is social regeneration through total chaos. Destroy everything, produce total chaos, and you'll have paradise coming forth. And, of course, Marx had no program for the post-revolutionary world. Marx's program was total revolution, destroy everything, and then automatically paradise will emerge. As a result, revolutionary movements, because of their faith in chaos, have very commonly been involved in a variety of perversions, including bestiality. It is interesting to note how many of the defectors have been involved in such acts. A few years ago, two very prominent members of the United States National Security Agency suddenly defected and went behind the Iron Curtain. After they defected, it was revealed, but very quickly hushed up, that both were homosexuals and both given very strongly to acts of bestiality. The present sexual revolution is experimenting extensively with its vice. Dr. Ellerstam, whom I have cited previously, has pleaded for abolition of this 
more yoked, to use his expression, the prohibitions against acts of bestiality and vindicates the act as to more and more writers. The Bible calls this act confusion, or as the Berkeley version translates it, perversion. Now, the element of perversion is basic to the act. In other words, man is affirming in this act his faith that chaos is ultimate, that chaos is the source of revival, of regeneration. But he is also thereby saying he is anti-God. And so he is deliberately denying the law of God, denying that God is a creator. Thus the element of deliberate perversion is always basic to the act and to the religious aspect of the act. For example, we're all com uh, familiar with the common expression, cleanliness is next to godliness. It comes out of the purity. But today, those who are denying godliness are also denying cleanliness, are they not? Very systematically. The Marquis de Sade, in one of his major works, gives a long catalog of some pages of a variety of acts of bestiality and the variety of animals he used, and justifies this as well, now I hesitate to speak of it, but this is also an aspect of the underworld of revolution of our day. He justified the eating of human waste as an erotic pleasure. And he declared that it is, and I'm quoting him, the very uncleanness of the act, unquote, which pleased him. It was defiling himself. And because man was supposed to be the image of God, it was a way of defiling, he felt, God himself. Now, some years ago, in the 20s and 30s, there was a writer on the staff of the New Republic, Kenneth Burke, who, like all those associated with the New Republic, was very much to the left. But Kenneth Burke wrote an essay once in which he described some of the things that were taking place around him and which disturbed him. And while we cannot agree with his atheistic framework, we can agree with him in saying that he put his finger on what was going on and gave it the right name. Kenneth Burke said that there was a kind of new revivalism afoot in the modern world. And what was it? It was a belief in conversion downward. What the practitioners of the old school, he said, were practicing was revival upwards. That is, conforming man, converting man to God. But the new revivalism, he said, is conversion downward. This conversion downward is an extensive fact of modern life and education, of modern religion. Vitality is sought downward. And it is seen as the source of strength, as the cure-all for everything, for society, revolution, chaos, for man. So that for male innocence, practice a perversion. That will renew you. Wherever you turn, you find that the new school is advocating this conversion downward as the source of renewal. 
and it is being done more and more openly. It is very interesting that in the last few days, a movie being advertised very extensively in our newspapers, big ads, is simply titled Marquis de Sade. And it presents him as a visionary and a revolutionary. He was, incidentally, not only the most total pervert in all history, but an ugly, fat toad of a person, totally repulsive. But this is what it says. His was an attitude of the 20th century, born in the 18th century. Behind the legend of twisted cruelty and evil, they were not legends, they were true, were his prophetic theories of personal liberty. Behind the condemned writings were the attacks on a degenerate establishment. It was on a Christian establishment. Arrested for criminal outrages, imprisoned for running away with his wife's sister, condemned to the guillotine during the French Revolution, he spent nearly half his life behind bars. Yet he never lost the conviction that wars and repression were the orgies beyond all orgies. Kill me or take me as I am, for I shall not change, said Sad, unquote. Of course, Sad was not against wars. In fact, he felt that murder was perfectly legitimate. It was infringing on your civil liberties or personal liberties if you were denied the right to kill at will. Now, here is the prized pervert of all history, given to eating human waste and given to bestiality, glorying in it, who is portrayed now as the prophet of the 20th century and as the great champion of liberty and a handsome man used to depict one of the ugliest, physically ugliest characters of the modern world. What is the purpose of this film? And almost any film on uh, the movie pages of the paper in the last week or two, Conversion Downward. Conversion Downward. This, of course, explains the Marquis de Sade. His pleasure in the very uncleanness of the act. The greater the confusion or perversion, the greater the delight. There was a desire on his part, as well as on the part of many such people today, to prove that man is no more than an animal. This desire to reduce man to an animal is a part of the evolutionary faith of our day. One of the most popular books of the last years was Desmond Morris's The Naked Age. In February of 1968, it was the Book of the Month Club selection. The whole thesis of the book was, of course, that man is a product of evolution and he is simply another ape. Now, of course, another book has been written to prove that the apes are really more human than men. <laughs> a part of this same kind of thinking was behind a major scientific expedition of the Soviet Union. I made passing reference to this a few weeks ago. In 1925, not too long after the revolution, 
A large number of Soviet scientists were heavily subsidized by the Soviet Union and sent to Africa in order to prove that evolution was true by crossing men and apes. This expedition was headed by Professor Ilya Ivanovich Ivanov. Of course, the whole thing was an abysmal and total failure. When they returned a year later, the Soviet Union declared that the ship was lost with all hands and apes in the Black Sea. Uh, so that there were no survivors, they declared. In other words, no one was allowed to live in order to report the fiasco. Today, this faith is systematically propagated far more than most people realize by a variety of books, pornographic movies, and instruction books. The systematic propagation of this faith is a part of the belief in conversion downward. And this is logical. If man does not believe in God, humanistic man must then look downward for his revival, for his regeneration. And what he will do thereby is to turn the world into chaos. But we, in terms of God's regenerating power and his law work, must turn ourselves in this world into conformity to God. We must look upward all the more. We must apply the law word of God to every area of life, bring every sphere of thought into captivity to God, whether in church, state, school, or everyday life. Neither man nor society can ever stand still. They either move in terms of conforming themselves to God, in terms of conversion upward, or in terms of conversion downward. When a generation makes a man like the Marquis de Sade, it prophets. When books are written in numbers every year glorifying him, and plays are playing, glorifying him, and now movies presenting him as the prophet of our age. We know that judgment is near on this generation, that they are polluting the land, and God will bring judgment upon them. All the more he who's us there as believers in the whole counsel of God, to declare that whole counsel and to summon every sphere of life into conformity to the law, word of God. Let us pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we give thanks unto thee for thy sovereign word. We thank thee that thou art on the throne and that thy judgment is sure. We thank thee, our Father, that thou who didst cast out the Canaanites and didst bring judgment upon the Roman Empire, Babylon, and Assyria of old, thou art unchanged still. Thine arm has not become shortened, nor thy power diminished. And so, our God, we await thy judgment. 
Strengthen us and prepare us, our Father, in the difficult days ahead for the task of Christian reconstruction, that we may bring ourselves and our institutions, our families, everything into conformity to thy law word, so that the kingdoms of this world might become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. Bless us to this purpose, we beseech thee, in Jesus' name. Amen. Any questions now? Yes. Temporary 
evangelism in the major churches is oriented to this conversion downward because for them there is no God above. Yeah. Short, 
and the usual style was it was too short to comb, except just to brush it forward. In Rome, they were usually clean-shaven, and in most of the empire, uh, some of the Hebrews were that way, some were bearded. But uh, by and large, a very short hair was the rule. And it was not uncommon for them to shave it off periodically and just let it grow to a short length. Yes? Uh, does that appear in the scriptures anywhere? No, it does not. It's just that we know from so many, many things that this was generally the rule of the day. We have not only in the Roman painting pictures of what the Romans were like, but we have from time to time pictures of uh, some of the Jews and other people from Palestine. And uh, basically, they're not much different. But does they uh, manage to take a Oh, yes. Uh, St. Paul makes it clear that it's a disgrace in a man. So that uh, you know from St. Paul's statement that this was not the practice in his day, so that he could say, this is something that everybody knows, that uh, short hair is natural to a man and long hair to a woman. Now, he wouldn't have said that if there were any variations of practice then. There were not. Yes? Well, I uh, often thought that the beard shaving the men's beard seemed like an unnatural thing, but uh, I was sort of part of it when I read it, and, and I'd like to correct you since you're a scholar, but I, I read that it, it was Alexander the Great that, uh, it is true, Alexander the Great uh, had his men clean-shaven. Uh, I think partly it was personal preference on his part, and partly he used the excuse that in battle no one can grab your beard. Well, if they're close enough to grab your beard and stab you, uh, they're too close anyway. You don't let anyone get that close to what he can do it. He used that excuse. But Alexander was clean-shaven, and his army, by and large, was. Yes. I wonder who else saw the first uh, piece in the paper about when in the hallowed halls of Congress, this hippie among a group of people, there's a small group of hippies that uh, were sandals and long bearded and gowns and everything like that. And, and they were making a lot of noise in Congress, and so they were actually, uh, the uh, sergeant of arms actually took them out. And one of our congressmen, not from this state, but from another state, got up and he said, surely we must invite them back in because they look more like Jesus Christ than anybody I've ever seen in my life. I'm sorry, guys, are back. Well, this is the kind of blasphemy that is increasingly prominent. You see, 
As I have pointed out some time ago, the Wachimite movement, which began in the latter part of the Middle Ages, under the leadership of the abbot Joachim of Flora, propagated an idea that is increasingly popular in our age. And the thesis of the abbot Joachim was that the history of the world could be divided into three ages. The first was the age of the father and of the law, the Old Testament age. The second was the age of the son and of grace. The third age is the death of God age and the age of the spirit, when every man is his own God and every man uh, is filled with the spirit and is himself perfect and uh, all loving and so on. Now, this third age mentality has infected uh, every aspect of our life today. It is apparent in Hegel's philosophy uh, of 170 years ago, and it infected Karl Marx, it has infected the churches, so that the churches, uh, well, you've had the Pentecostal movement, which in its early days was quite vocal about being anti-scripture. Uh, you weren't bound by the letter, you were filled with a spirit. And of course, uh, even evangelicalism is very largely infected by this belief that it has to be beyond the law. We're in the realm of the spirit, in the age of the spirit, and what we need is a spirit-filled kind of religion, which somehow, somehow is above and beyond scripture, and is above and beyond meeting the daily responsibilities that God lays upon us. It's a demonic thing. It has done much harm to the cause of Christ, and we need to get back to the whole counsel of God. This three-age philosophy, from the beginning, has been a death of God philosophy. And unfortunately, there's not an area of our modern world where this uh, third-age philosophy or this third-world philosophy is not to be found to some degree. Well, our time, yes. Is that the great theology of the Spirit? Yes, yes. You substitute feeling for scripture. And this is the most important thing. Authorized by the Calcedon Foundation. Archived by the Mount Olive Tape Library. Digitized by Christ Rules dot com